The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Welcome to Sing With Your Feet, the podcast in which we make every effort to give ourselves a clean slate and start sparkling again. The podcast in which we discover different ways to turn the page on painful chapters of our lives so that we can finally move on. The podcast in which we do not back away from painful conversations. Sometimes hearing the stories of someone else's struggles can help us face our own. My name is Lily Fields, and I'm going to be your fairy godmother for the next half hour or so. If you read the title of today's episode and you decided to listen anyway, then thank you. If you didn't see the episode title, I'm going to tell you what it is so you can decide now if it's something you want to hear about. It's called Episode 12, Closing the Casket. I know it sounds dark, just as dark probably as calling the first episode of your brand spanking new podcast, The Funeral Singer. <laughs> yeah, if you were tuning in for fairy dust today, you're probably not going to find a ton. What you are going to find is a brass tacks conversation about how sparkling, while it is what we are ultimately here to help you do in this podcast, it requires something from us. And sometimes that something required of us comes with a pretty painful cost. There'll be no objections from you today, Country Bumpkin. What I want to do, though, is I want us to do a quick review of your homework from last week. If you'll remember, in last week's episode, we talked about our clothes and how the stories our clothes both tell about us and the stories in our lives that relate back to our clothes. One of my ideal life themes, that is one of the 19 categories or the circles of that fabulous Venn diagram of my life, is the theme of personal style. Something I discovered about my own personal style is that it isn't enough to know what I do like to wear. I also need to be able to articulate what I don't like and why I don't like it. Now, we do this naturally. We're drawn to certain things for their color, for their fabric, or for their cut. We also eliminate things because they're too flashy or too this or too that. Although it took quite some time of getting down to the nitty-gritty on this, I discovered that while some dislikes were completely understandable, I don't like wearing fabrics that will show visible pit stains when I start sweating, for example, there were other things that didn't make sense, like in the example I took last week, the color purple, which filled me with anger when I saw it. Your homework for this last week was to pay attention to your dislikes, whether in your closet or whether it was certain smells or certain foods, and especially to pay attention to the dislikes that stirred up or dislodged feelings. I mean, for example, for a really, really long time, I hated mushrooms. Mushrooms, the little things that grow on the ground. I hated the thought of mushrooms. It was visceral to me. 
like I would get the complete creeps at even the thought of a mushroom. After an intense period of counseling, which was unrelated to my mushroom thing, I had an epiphany as to why I hated mushrooms so much. And it was, no surprise, I guess, related to the reason that I was in counseling in the first place. I am not going to say that counseling made me love mushrooms, but I now do not get physically ill when I think of them. And that, my friends, is progress. Now, after that mushroom digression, did you pay attention to your dislikes this week? Did you try to trace back where that aversion might have come from? Now would be a good time to remind you that as we dig into these questions, you might need professional mental health support. There is no shame in needing one-on-one professional counseling. We are digging deep, and it isn't going to just be sparkle and fairy dust that you'll need. There are counseling and mental health support services everywhere, and I'm sure you won't have to go far to find one in your area. But if you can't, look online. There are plenty of reputable services. Please nod. Please promise me that if you need help, you will get help. Getting help is a good thing. It's how you make progress. We also have a group on Facebook, a little group. It's called You Are Not Done Sparkling Yet. It's a group of ladies who are trying to pursue our ideal life together. This month, the month of March, we are looking at all the different ideal life themes and we're working through a series of questions to answer about those themes, to get us thinking. And then we're going to encourage each other to continue comparing how are we feeling about this area of our life to the last time we did it. Keep working that way, making tiny, tiny, tiny steps of progress towards our ideal life. We're doing this together. It's not counseling, but it is a way to find somebody who's not emotionally involved in your life to listen, to encourage you, and be your cheerleader. You're welcome to join us. You are not done sparkling yet. It's the name of the group. I'll put a link in the show notes. Speaking of social media, as I mentioned um, in our last episode, we talked about our clothes and how they can impact how we feel about our lives. Well, I have a little passion. Yes, you already know I love clothes, but I have a passion that's a little something I love to do that keeps me sane and keeps my ragey perimenopausal mood swings at bay. (laughs) It's something that involves destroying something perfectly serviceable that I don't love and remaking it into something that I do love. It's called refashioning. Now, this month, the month of March, with some of my friends across the world from Montana to Australia, that's my friend Dina, Mary, Rosanna, we are doing what we are calling Make It March. It's a month to take clothes that are in our closet that we don't love and figuring out how to alter them or what's called in the jargon, refashioning them. We are inspiring ourselves from things we've seen on Pinterest or things that other people that we know have done. But I believe that by taking things from our closet that we aren't wearing for some reason, whether we don't like the cut or it's too big or it's too small or for whatever reason, when we take those things and we refashion them, we are investing in their wearability. I think all of us have clothes in our closet that we don't wear anymore, but we 
can't get rid of for some reason, taking those things, those things that we don't wear, that we might not even really love, or things that are maybe filled with some sort of emotional value and we want to be able to wear them again, those would be great fodder for refashioning projects. I spent most of 2021 doing things like that. I had a stash of these clothes in a bin in my basement, and I would bring them up and work on these things. And one of these things was a bathrobe. I wrote an article about it that I'm going to link to in the blog, but it's this bathrobe that I had bought to wear in the maternity ward when I gave birth to my eldest child. Well, this bathrobe that has been sitting around for years, it ended up not just dislodging, but igniting fires of rage within me every time I would see it, to the point that I probably should have just gotten rid of it. But because of the sentimental value, I mean, it was when I gave birth to my first child, I refused to get rid of it. So last year, I set about a project to refashion that bathrobe. And in the process, I took back the power over a less than stellar birthing experience. I have tons of articles on the blog about different refashioning projects, and I'll link to those too. But if you read nothing else, read that one, the one about the great bathrobe refashion of 2021. If you want to see what we're up to with Make It March, join me on Instagram at Lilyfields Challenge. We're having a blast. It's fun. It's encouraging. We're learning new things and we're getting better use out of our closet. Refashioning clothes can be a way to bring joy back to your closet. It definitely is for me and I think all of my friends would agree. So come join us. All right, so now that was the fun part of this episode. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of a content warning. In this episode, we are going to be talking about death. Lyella's going to be talking about caskets and funerals. And I am going to talk about miscarriage and postpartum depression. So yeah, like I said, we're a barrel of laughs over here today. There's not a ton of fairy dust to go around. But if we're talking about these things, it's because we believe that the, these stories can bring light into some dark places where you might be feeling stuck right now. Both Lyella and I believe that bringing closure to painful chapters of our lives with some kind of gesture, a final gesture, a closing of the casket, we believe that it's critical to preparing the terrain for our ideal life. This doesn't happen all at once. You have to be ready to close the casket. You might not be ready today, but by listening, you'll at least have a few ideas for when you are ready. So it's your wicked stepsister, Lyella, who's going to start us off today. Lyella, the floor is yours. On a cold day in February, I found myself standing in a beige room, soft music playing. There was no natural light. It was all kind of a warm, glowing yellow. It was the kind of room that seemingly cuts you off from the outside world. I was standing next to a casket, looking down at my friend, I had spent the last five years worrying that this is where Bill and I were headed. And sure enough, here we were together one last time. And now all sorts of thoughts bounced around my head. Oh, they went with the military uniform. Of course, that's a cool casket feature, a little box that people can put mementos in. Uh, cool casket feature. Is that a thing? He looks different. I don't think his eyebrows are supposed to be that thick. Ugh, this is all so very weird. All sorts of thoughts just pinging around my brain in no random order. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've thought some of the same things. In the middle of my thoughts, his new widow came and stood next to me. 
We stood together, looking down, quiet. Then she made a most unexpected statement. Delivered flat, no emotion, just matter of fact. She said, he's starting to turn. It's time to close the casket. Back then, I didn't know that I was on my way to becoming the wicked stepsister, the girl with a passion for good death. I also didn't realize that I had a hidden death doula superpower. We'll talk about my superpower in another episode. First, I think it's time I tell you a little more about death doulas. Let's talk the nuts and bolts of my work. Death doulas are sometimes called end-of-life doulas. Perhaps you're familiar with the word doula from the title birth doula. That word doula comes from the Greek language and it simply means servant. So a death doula is a servant who works to support people through the death process. Doulas help people through transitions. That's what we do. Often, when we think of birth, we tend to focus on a pretty small part of the process, the actual hours when the baby is pushing its way into the world. But there's at least nine months of a story that comes before those precious few hours. It wouldn't surprise me if you made the same assumption about death. The assumption that I'm only talking about that small period that surrounds the actual act of dying. But I like to think a lot bigger picture when it comes to death. Don't get me wrong. It's true that I am there to help people in the last hours of their lives. I absolutely will sit vigil and hold a person's hand as they die. In fact, my number one goal is to help people have a peaceful death, whatever that looks like to them. Ultimately, though, The work I do is all about supporting people as they adjust to the changes that death brings. It's all about transitions. So back to that casket, the one that the grieving widow was ready to close, the transition that she was ready to make. She was right. It was time, time for us to move forward. We'd all been static for five years, holding our breath and hoping that this day wouldn't come, but it had. And we couldn't just stand there trying to hold on to someone that was gone. Closing that lid was going to force us to move forward. We couldn't stop it. A casket must be closed. That fact is inescapable. In life, the need to let go and move forward may not be nearly as obvious, but it is just as essential. We can't just stand there looking at the remains of the past. All we can do is gather the love and the pain, the good and the bad, fold them into ourselves, and get to work on the next chapter. We have to move forward. We have to transition. We have to close the casket. Alors on chante, on danse, on fait la fête, comme au ciel. You will find in the show notes links to Lyella's work. I really want to encourage you to take a look at what she does. Lyella is funny. She is funny and she handles these topics with great compassion, with humor, and with delicacy. I really, really want you to take a look at what she's up to. Thanks, Lyella. 
counseling for my severe self-loathing issues back in 2013, I was in a pretty dark place. By then, I really wanted to have children, which was something I had never wanted up until then. But there was an underlying issue that my body seemed to have taken up with my mind. And together, the two conspired to keep me from being able to make that happen. It's a condition called vaginismus. It's a real thing, and I will not go into the details of it today. We've got enough dark stuff to talk about. But if you want, you can look it up. In any case, what came to light in my counseling was that there was no way that I felt like I could create life if I felt like I had no right to exist. This truth, once it was articulated, was one that I needed to grapple with. (laughs) There would be more, so much more, that would need to surface at another time. But in 2013, this was the big issue. It was a real-life existential crisis. During my counseling, I was encouraged to perform meaningful gestures that would help mark the different steps of healing. This included making drawings of the life that I would have wanted to have and setting them on fire. This included sending the ashes of those drawings adrift down a little river so that I could symbolically put an end to the pining for a life that I never had, that I never could have, and that would never happen. I found that there was great power in this. It was a visible, meaningful gesture. In 2014, I became pregnant for the first time. You cannot imagine the joy that I felt when, after those years of grappling with my self-loathing, I found that my body and my mind were finally on the same page. I learned shortly thereafter that I was pregnant with twins. Life changed for my indulgent husband and myself once we learned that we'd be having twins. So much finally started making sense for us. And then, the day before my birthday in 2014, I had a sonogram appointment. At that appointment, we learned that the twins were not going to survive to term. One of them was already gone, and the other one followed shortly thereafter. Believe me when I tell you that my birthday that year sucked. There is so much that happened. So many amazing things that happened around that time. So much painful soul-searching and trying to understand how I could let myself get so excited about something and then go from this, this mountaintop of joy and excitement to this valley that was so low of desperation and misunderstanding. The most important thing that my husband and I did during that time, because we would not be allowed to physically bury our babies, we decided that we would bury our sonograms. (laughs) We wrote letters. Both of us wrote letters to the babies. We named the babies. And we took those letters and the images from the sonograms. And we took them up to a place in the Black Forest. Yes, that Black Forest. The Black Forest, the one from the Tales of the Brothers Grimm. We can see the Black Forest from the front door of our apartment. Every morning, we can see the sun rising over the Black Forest. It's, It's beautiful. It's as beautiful as you imagine it to be. Well, we decided to take those letters and those sonograms and a few other little things. We put them in a box. And we took a little hike. Me, who doesn't like to hike, as you know. 
We hiked up into the black forest, and we buried those memories in a special place. The place, that special hill in the black forest, is almost sacred to us now. It's a place that, if we want to, we can go visit it. For the first few years after I lost the babies, I would stand at the front door of the apartment and look out of the mountains at a clear day and think about them. It felt very healthy, far healthier than the alternative. There was no casket to close in this situation. The world, which does not like to talk about miscarriage, would have told me, ah, oh, this kind of thing happens all the time, get over it. Ignoring the pain, ignoring the broken dreams that miscarriage represented was not a solution. Burying our memories in that special place was how we closed a casket that wasn't really a casket at all. Death is something that must be grieved. Death of a loved one, or in this case, the death of loved ones that we hadn't even met yet. We must allow ourselves to grieve, even when there is no casket to close. I don't know what this would look like for you. Maybe you don't live across, across the way from the Black Forest, but is there a special place where you can go Take some tangible memories with you and bury them. Close the casket. Find a way to do this, even though there's no casket to close. Elle me fait bondir et vibrer, crier. Elle me donne envie de chanter, danser. Elle pousse à agir. Donner, partager Et tout simplement De sourire Last episode, I mentioned something in passing which I think deserves a little bit of explanation. <laughs> to be honest, when I listened to it again, it sounded suspiciously like something the philosopher princess might have said. And I have been fretting about this for the entire week. So I'm really glad you came back and that you've stuck around this long so that I could explain it. This is what I said. And hold on, I'm going to say it in the voice of the philosopher princess just so you can appreciate the humor. Rage and joy are not opposite emotions. I based this suspiciously philosophical observation on something that I know to be true about my own experience of rage and of joy. That is, that they are both extremely intense emotions. On the spectrum of emotions, there are all kinds of dichotomies. One of these that I pay close attention to is just how intense an emotion is. So when I say that joy and rage are not opposites, I was referring to the fact that on this spectrum of emotions, they are both very, very intense. As I fretted about this nuance over the last week, I got to wondering if there was anything else that made rage and joy more similar than different. So I decided to start looking up some definitions for them as a starting point, and this is what I found. Rage. Rage is a violent, uncontrollable anger, or a vehement desire or passion. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Hmm. Both of those definitions contain the word desire. Rage can flare up when our desires are thwarted. Joy can erupt when our desires become reality. Rage, and its slightly less intense iteration, anger, can result from a place of feeling like something has been taken from us, 
like we've been robbed of something, robbed of a loved one, robbed of an opportunity, robbed of a dream. When we don't deal with anger or with rage, and by not dealing with it, I mean we ignore it or we actively bury it as a coping mechanism, it doesn't go away. It just goes underground. It becomes a discomfort that we build on top of as we move from season to season of our lives. And as we get farther and farther away from the source of our anger, whether it's time that separates us or it's distance that separates us, the farther we get, the more that anger simply becomes part of who we are. This latent anger is a hostile terrain for living a life of joy. Sparkle is not compatible with rage. Most of us are not likely to admit that we have anger problems. It's definitely not glamorous. But remember, I firmly believe that authenticity and honesty are liberating. So I'm going to admit something to you. Before I had children, I did not realize how much anger, how much rage I was carrying around from previous seasons of my life. I had managed to carry that rage in secret for years. And because my life had always been pretty calm and quiet with relatively little to go in and stir up that rage, well, the rage had very few occasions to surface. Oh, there were a few times when I surprised myself by getting irrationally angry about something. But for the most part, I was just, well, in French, they call it méfiante. I guess it must mean close to mistrustful. As if I had built a series of fortified walls around my heart to keep the rage from coming out, and at the same time, keeping anyone who might go in and stir up the rage from getting too close to my heart. But children, <laughs> children, children have a way of loosening up the masks we wear, don't they? They have a way of getting themselves into the spaces between our skin and our flesh and needling around in there. There was no way for me to keep my children out of my heart, not even with all those walls and all those systems I had built to keep other people out. And the more I loved my children, the more angry I found myself becoming. I knew I wasn't angry with them. I could tell that the rage I was experiencing wasn't truly directed at them, but it was so scary to find myself overwhelmed with so much undealt with rage. I observed that I had no coping mechanism for anger. I had no healthy way to express it. My postpartum depression was spent for the first few years of it, and I did spend four years in it, feeling guilty for being angry all the time. I assure you that this did not help matters. Reproaching myself for feeling rage against people who were in no way at fault for my anger did not make me less angry. As I mentioned a few episodes ago, a good chunk of my rage was directed at myself for decisions I made years and years ago that had ignored my own desires and had put me on a path to where I ended up. If I was angry at my children, I reasoned, it was because they were the result of some of those decisions. But I also know that my children did not deserve to bear the consequences of 20 years worth of pent-up rage that I had been building my life on. I spent 2019 figuring out how to be angry in a healthy way. I spent it going through for what all intents and purposes can be called a midlife crisis. 
I spent a lot of 2019 being angry on purpose, doing things that I normally would not do. Learning how to experience the feeling of anger without letting it overwhelm me and scare me. Learning how to say no, which was something I had never learned how to do. Learning that saying no doesn't have to land a death knell to a relationship. Yeah, in 2019, I made up for a lot of lost time, and I was lucky. For whatever reason, in all this trial and error, my husband, who I do not call my indulgent husband for nothing, he never got scared and he never turned his back. Our marriage survived that volcanic year. If I learned one constructive thing from that last year of my postpartum depression, it was that anger is not inherently wrong. It's human to feel anger. It is even acceptable to express anger. When we let anger complete its cycle in a healthy way, we don't destroy relationships. In fact, getting that anger out of our systems leaves us emotionally healthy to better engage in our relationships. You know, it took me more than a year to close the casket on a season of my life from 20 years ago. More than a year to dig through all that anger and all that rot and all those walls that I had built up around my heart. When I finally got to the point where I felt like I might have emptied out all the junk from that time of my life, I decided to perform a gesture to officially declare that season closed. Something that I could then think back to whenever those thoughts or feelings of self-criticism or self-directed anger might try to creep back up. It was something incredibly simple, but very, very meaningful. I took a rose, a pretty rose, and one by one, I removed the petals. I stripped that rose of its beauty, one layer at a time. With each petal, I named something that I had been angry at myself about. And as it turned out, there were more petals on that rose than there were things I was angry about. So when I got to the end of my list, I started again, this time saying, I forgive you for this, and I forgive you for that. What I found when I got down to the end of all the petals were these weird little pink and yellow things, structures, part of the rose that skeezed me out. I don't know much about botany, so I would be hard-pressed to name those little yellow and pink things, but they were very much part of the structure of the rose. When you look at a rose on the surface, you wouldn't suspect that these weird little structures are down in there. Just like for all these years, no one would have suspected that all that rage was down inside of me. Those weird little pink and yellow things were just like my rage. In one last fit of curiosity, I decided to pick away those little structures to see what was underneath. Underneath them was just a pretty fuzzy white stump. I would be hard-pressed to explain why, but the sight of that fuzzy white stump, it made me cry. This is what it looked like when all the artifice was taken away. I smelled the stump, and it smelled like... Well, it didn't smell anything like a rose, that's for sure. It smelled more like... Like freshly cut grass. It smelled fresh. It just smelled like a plant. Now, when I do something stupid or I get angry about something I've done, I'm always very careful to make sure that I get down to that pretty, fuzzy, white, fresh-smelling stump in my heart. Make sure that there's no root of self-directed anger getting stuck on there to trip me up later and that no artifice is growing up in my heart. So much of getting through rage and anger issues is about forgiveness. 
And very often our rage and anger is quite justly directed at other people. I don't want to bludgeon you with talk of forgiveness, but I do want to say this. Forgiveness is more for you than it is for the person you're forgiving. Forgiveness gives us that clean slate, that fuzzy white stump. Forgiveness frees you from the feelings of rage and anger. Not to say that they don't creep back from time to time, but forgiveness means I cancel the debt you owe me. And also, even if sometimes I could use that money you owed me, I'm not going to come looking for it from you. If you struggle with anger or rage issues, it certainly doesn't cost you anything to try. I'm not perfect. I get angry with other people, and maybe there are more caskets I need to close. Some people I need to forgive, and that will help close other seasons that I haven't gotten around to yet. And I guess I know what my homework is. But do you know what your homework is? It's to let yourself be angry. See what it feels like to open that valve. Do it in a safe way. Go somewhere alone, like in your car. Park your car and yell. Yell for a while. Destroy something. Destroy something beautiful like a rose or a piece of clothing. As the anger works its way, notice how it feels not to swallow it back. I'm telling you, rage and joy are not that far apart. Let yourself experience rage and you might find that joy is waiting on the horizon. It will not happen overnight. It took me a year. You may need professional help to get to the bottom of your rage, and there's nothing wrong with you if you need that help. I know that this has been a really heavy week, and I want to thank you for sticking around this far. If you have any thoughts on this topic or any insights to share about ways that have been helpful to you to put closure on seasons of your life, I really would love to hear about it. Please drop me a line, lily at lilyfields challenge or Instagram. You can DM me there at lilyfields challenge. That's lily, L-I-L-Y. I want to give a big, gigantic, warm sing with your feet thank you to my friends Jonathan Moulin and Seven Productions for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and the outro to the show, to Matt Kugler, whose lovely voice you hear throughout, and to Claude Ecque, who wrote that awesome song. You guys really bring La Joie. This is your fairy godmother signing off again. Please remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet.